0: Glad y'all are here. Glad that we're going to spend some time together in God's Word. We, uh, weekly, when we gather, we do a few things. We worship, uh, and part of that worship involves being equipped. And I want you guys to understand in these next few minutes, I I think equipping takes place in various ways each week, but this week I think was a very purely equipping sermon. Uh, As I'm trying to relate to some of the things that people go through, some circumstances that go through uh, that might connect to this sermon, I can't even imagine how some of the ways. This, this sermon might apply to your circumstances and your lives. And I'm trusting the Lord that this sermon is, um, is going to connect to your presence here, that there may be some reason that you're here to be equipped with this um, uh, message from Matthew chapter 5. So you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray before we climb into our passage. We need to pray for our community uh, in light of the shooting happened last night Uh, we need to pray for folks involved in that that are connected to that Uh, we're going to pray for another church in our community and we're going to pray for the Azerbaijani people people group of uh, 8.8 million people of 0.4 percent are Christian let's pray Lord first of all this morning we want to pray for this community and pray for those who are hurting and trying to make sense of what happened last night Lord, we are uh, grieved and um, uh, saddened. Lord, we're um, uh, just wanting to just ask you to somehow be glorified through this mess. Lord, we pray that the, the saints that are connected to these circumstances that they will have an opportunity to speak and encourage uh, as men and women of sincerity that they will speak in Christ. That they'll br- bring some perspective into these circumstances that that you are good and you are sovereign and you are on your throne and you weren't snoozing last night, but that you can work all things, in fact, do work all things together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we also realize that you work all things according to the kind intention of your will. So acknowledging that, we're asking you to work something glorious in this and through this. Lord, we pray that if you give us circumstances our opportunities to step into this mess that you will give us a view to how and where and what to say and how to bring help and encouragement. Lord, also we want to pray for those families that are grieving the loss of a loved one from last night. Just pray that they would be somehow helped. I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ to bring some good medicine to them. Or two in these next few minutes, we want to pray for another church. We want to lift up Southwood Christian Church, right across the street and just down the road. Praying for Harry Oakley, the only elder uh, pastor on staff right now, or on on the um, serving as an elder, Lord. We want to pray for Harry that he is enjoying you uh, somehow, that he is um, really being blessed by you as he's serving the saints there at Southwood, Lord. I pray for his marriage that uh, it's blessed and flourishing. I pray for his worship pray that that's spilling over and overflowing into a people. Lord, we want to pray for great things for disciples to be made and for your name to be enjoyed at Southwood. We're entrusting Southwood to you this morning. Lord, also we want to pray for a people group of 8.8 million people, the Azerbaijani people. Lord, we pray that you would send workers to that corner, that far corner, and that that would be coupled with people who are looking for answers and trying to make sense of life and trying to understand who their creator is, and groping after you even. Lord, we pray that in some way that workers would be called to that field and that the good news of the kingdom would hit fertile soil. Lord, we are entrusting the people group, the Azerbaijani people group to you. Lord, lastly, I want to pray for these next few minutes, just um, confessing uh, um, just not really sure what this message is about or who it's for. Um, but trusting you in your sovereignty and your providence, that there's a, some folks in this room this morning that need to be encouraged with, this, um, with what to expect in following Christ, and trusting this message and this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and I'm going to begin in verse 2 For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In some ways, I believe our Lord, 2,000 years ago on this mount and through this living word that we've been given, um, is somehow equipping the saints for what to expect as part of life in the kingdom. It's interesting that the first beatitude there, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, provides sort of a bookend for where we are this morning in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some people group the beatitudes as a list of eight simply because of those bookends. Despite the fact that there's a ninth passage there that begins very similar uh, wording. They group that together because this very much, these eight, if you want to number them, eight or nine Beatitudes, are very much about what to expect in life in the kingdom. What to expect life will be like for you as you follow Christ. You can expect that you're going to experience poverty of spirit. You can expect mourning. You can expect that in following Christ, you're going to have occasions that require meekness and humility, everything that might be contrary to what you, you're, the way you're built. You can expect that you're going to have seasons where you hunger and thirst for something that's absent and something that you really want, something called righteousness. You can expect there are going to be occasions requiring mercy and it may be the most difficult thing you've ever done to extend it in a situation that you think it doesn't apply. There'll be occasions where they, re- they require fidelity of heart, purity of heart, pursuits of, and, and occasions where you are pursuing Him wholeheartedly. And then there will be occasions where you have to put your hand to something that may be the most difficult thing you've ever done, is making peace. And then this morning we're going to consider that add to this really difficult list of expectations, you can expect to be persecuted. You can expect to be persecuted. <clears throat> I had a, a drill instructor at the uh, at officers candidate school in quantico virginia i think it was 1987 or 1988 i went to officers candidate school and this this drill instructor his name was gunny stanfast he just sounded mean just even the name just sounds like a guy that really has some issues and i i think uh, marine corps drill instructors uh, in the in, in the first part all drill instructors are part god and part devil probably more devil than god In the God sense, they have far more sway over you and far more power over you than any human should have over another. But then the devil part is they take full advantage of that. And they create some of the most uncomfortable circumstances you can possibly imagine. And Gunny Standfast was an expert at it. What made things really difficult in regards to this guy is all the drill instructors, for the most part, told you what to expect on physical training every day. You had physical training every single day. You called it PT for short. You knew what to expect from all the other drill instructors. This many miles we're going to run. We're going to do this obstacle course. We're going to do this event, this force march. With Gunny Standfast, he would never tell you what to expect, and that's what made it excruciating. The physical part of it was challenging, of course, but what really made it hard was this guy knew that we needed to know some expectations. We needed to have expectations to sort of gauge ourselves and sort of meter our um, commitment and our involvement and our energy and this guy took all that away. I'm, I'm convinced the guy was omnipotent. He knew, what, he, he knew what, what was really hard for us, and he was omnipresent, too. He was always everywhere. And I don't know how the guys accomplished this, but he was large part devil. One of the things that I was thinking about this morning is I'm thankful that our Lord is nothing like Gunny Standfast. I'm thankful that our Lord, unlike a Marine drill instructor that wants to make things really hard for you to prepare you for combat, our Lord is a good shepherd and He wants to help us be prepared to know what to expect in this journey of following Him. And in fact, He wants us to flourish in that journey. As you expect, part and parcel, what to, what, what's going to be involved with following Christ. <clears throat> A good shepherd, I believe, prepares His people for the journey with what to expect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 <clears throat> is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> For the majority of our time. <clears throat> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm just gonna break this down. The I think the, the back end of that passage we've already considered. This is part and parcel to life together, but the front part of this passage is where I want to spend the majority of the morning. We're just considering those who are persecuted and considering this qualifying phrase for righteousness, righteousness' sake. First of all, those who are persecuted who are the people that he's referring to here and what does this persecution look like i have to admit to you that the whole notion you can flip over a few pages to matthew chapter 10 i have to admit to you the whole notion of persecution feels a little foreign to me because we don't really use that word and if somebody told me that they were being persecuted you know if somebody called me and said hey i need to talk to you i think i'm being persecuted I would probably kind of think maybe there's something wrong with this person here because you just don't hear that phrase often. What we hear more often are things like, I'm being bullied, I'm being pushed around. Okay, those are versions of persecution, but those are more familiar to us. I was left out of something. I was forgotten. I was picked last for the team. Anybody know that persecution? I was the overweight kid when I was growing up, so I know what that feels like to be last, picked last for the, key, for the team. I was mocked. Okay, some of these things, this list that I'm thinking through, I'm thinking about that I could relate to in, in my school age years. And some things that our young people may be able to relate to right now. I was laughed at. I was the only kid in school didn't have an eyesod, And if you were going to be cool in school when I was growing up, you had to have an eyesod shirt. And I was laughed at because I didn't. I was unfriended. That might, might be a more contemporary version of what we might call some measure of persecution. And you can understand why I feel embarrassed to even connect that thought. I didn't get as many likes as I feel like I should have. Or maybe I wasn't invited to some special event and I feel like I was excluded. Those are some things that I think are more familiar to us uh, as I'm thinking about this, this notion of persecution. And, man, I, before I make a beeline to how we should apply this, I think as considering what we're going to do here um, as expository preaching, we need to figure out what persecution meant for them. So that's where we're going to spend the next few minutes, is understanding what persecution meant for them. And then and only then will we try and connect it to our circumstances. And I think our qualifying phrase will help with that. The word means, actually to means be pursued, persecution. It means being put to flight, to be run after or chased after. You could almost kind of envision this hunted. I'm being hunted, I'm being persecuted in the sense of being pursued. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, gives us some, give us some details. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Speaking to his uh, followers here. Christ is speaking to his disciples. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my namesake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over... Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the Father will deliver his child over to death. And children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Man, what a a colossal list of persecutions. Let's just kind of gather them up delivered over to courts, flogged, dragged before governors, delivered over to death by your brother, by your father, maybe, or maybe even by your own children. And the last one that might be most easily related to is hated. Man, what a crazy list. There are some people that believe that our, our Gospels aren't absolutely chronological. There are sections in the Gospels, in various Gospels, where it seems like things might be a little bit out of order. <clears throat> some people believe that this passage here in chapter 10, verse 16 through uh, 22, are actually connecting to the notion that these guys have already experienced some persecution. Over there in Matthew chapter 5. When they're standing on the mount, when the disciples are sitting at Christ's feet... ...and they're hearing his teaching and preaching... ...that they've already experienced some persecution... ...and they're trying to make sense of it. And the good shepherd is equipping them... ...with not only to make sense of it, but also to expect it. But man, if you gather up this list... ...deliver it over to courts, flogged, dragged before governors... ...delivered over to death, and hated... ...it is a gruesome list... And I have to be really honest this morning. I'm almost tempted to say, let's just close in prayer and pray for those who go through those sorts of things because none of us really do. I mean, I'm almost tempted to say this really isn't... For us, I don't know of anybody that's been dragged into court for their faith or for, for the sake of righteousness. I don't know anybody that's being flogged. I don't know any of you that have been dragged before governors. I don't know any of you that have been delivered over to death. Maybe some of you might be hated in one way or another for righteousness' sake, but I think, large part, these, this list is pretty foreign to us because we live, in, for, for the most part, in a faith-friendly community. Man, let's just take a moment and just be really honest. We're not going to try and strain and stretch something out here, and we're going to acknowledge that we live in a pretty wonderful place. We live in a place that most of our world, who Christians that live all over our world, would dream of living. Where we can worship in freedom and in safety, not experiencing a lot of the persecution that Christians experience all over the world. We'll be talking about that next week. The reality of persecution for Christians today. But I think this phrase, this qualifying phrase is going to escort us into maybe a way that we in a faith friendly community can connect to this beatitude, this eighth beatitude, this qualifier for righteousness sake. This thing, this phrase, for righteousness' sake, I think, can open up some space for us to consider how persecution may play out for us in a mostly faith-friendly community. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of, because of, this is the way the passage unfolds in the original language, because of righteousness or because of justice. Now, we could just kind of consider this this phrase, to, this passage, to, to kind of connect to it in a way that might make sense for us. Blessed are those who are persecuted, and here's how we can kind of connect to it, for doing the right thing. Okay, maybe now we can start start to kind of apprehend this a little bit, connect to it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. If we only had that word persecuted, we would probably just dismiss and go home. But we have that phrase, we can connect to the thought that maybe there are some ways we may be experiencing some pushback, some resistance, maybe some hatred for doing the right thing. Just considering that phrase, first of all, let's just, before we try and make the connection for us, let's try and consider what it must have felt like on that mountain 2,000 years ago. We've considered as we move through these Beatitudes that these things are shocking. There probably would have been a lot of furrowed brows. There probably wouldn't have been a lot of guffaws on that mountainside 2,000 years ago. As he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. The people who are looking for a Barabbas, a rebel, to push back against the Roman Empire. And he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. Some, some, Some beatitudes like that that would have truly been shocking. This is one of those that it would have truly been shocking. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. Let that hit you for a moment. Blessed are flourishing, happy, whole. Those who are experiencing shalom are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. It is truly a surprising phrase. If I were to make it more digestible for us, I think I would probably... Something's happened with my mic here, it seems like. Do you all agree? Real echoey? Let me just press on. Okay. I think a way to sort of make this phrase digestible... Okay, would be to change the first part of this. Is Instead of blessed are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing, maybe confused are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. Indignant are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. Angry are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. If we're really going to be honest, let's really climb into this passage in a way that we're going to be honest with. That would make a whole lot more sense. Or maybe we could rephrase it as this. Blessed are those who are blessed for doing the right thing. Right? We sort of flipped it around now. Blessed are those who are blessed for doing the right thing. That makes a whole lot more sense. It's just a couple of ways to maybe reword this passage in a way that might make some more sense, that make it a little less shocking, because truly it is shocking. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. I like that last reword, blessed are those who are blessed for doing the right thing. It sort of fits the maxim that good things happen to good people, which I think most of us think if we're really honest. Good things happen to good people. I want to just ask you to consider if that's what you think. I asked uh, Quora this morning. Quora is a, a, a website where you can Google various things and you can ask a question. And I actually found a question that had already been asked on Quora. And the question that was at and Quora, let me just kind of tell you how this works. It's just someone puts a question out there and a bunch of people give a bunch of answers and you just kind of get a sense what the tribe thinks. And I guess, you know, nobody really lands on this is the factual answer, but at least you get a sense of what people think and how where people generally land. So I put that question out there on on Quora. Do good things happen to good people? And Quora says no. Korah says no. Quora actually says that bad and good things happen to bad and good people. Quora sort of reduced it down to things happen to people. <laughs> things happen to people, right? I mean, we can really... Be, that's a little bit more accurate. One guy kind of broke it down this way. He gave it percentages. 25% of the time, good things happen to good people. 25% of the, th- the time, bad things happen to good people. of the time, bad things happen to bad people. And 25% of the time, good things happen to bad people. He says, so 25% of the time, that statement is corrected. Good things happen to good people. I just wonder, what, what do you think? What are you expecting? Joel Osteen is not a guy that I quote often. And I'm quoting him on purpose this morning because I think in some ways he might have a view into maybe where people generally think, what they expect. And even in regards to faith. Maybe especially in regards to faith. Here's what Joel Osteen said. He said, keep a good attitude. Smiling, big handsome smile. And do the right thing. I don't want to make fun of him. I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to connect. I'm trying to be Joel. Just kind of bring him into this moment. Keep a good attitude and do the right thing. When you do that, you're passing the test. And God promises you your marked moments are on their way. I'm going to read that again. I want you to just consider what he just said. Keep a good attitude and do the right thing. When you do that, you're passing the test. And God promises you your marked moments are on their way. I think Joel actually, the thing that his he, I think he brings out in that quote is I think in some ways we take those percentages that I just quoted, the 25%, 25%, 25%, and the, the, the things happen to people thing, and we think when God's involved, it's actually going to tip the scales our way so it'll be more like 35%, 45% of the good things happen to those who are following the Lord. Maybe 70%, maybe we up the percentages a little bit so that things fall our way more often than they don't when god's involved and the beatitudes actually say the opposite the beatitudes should actually condition us and prepare us and equip us to expect in fact the opposite we should inspect and said that god's involved that everything's going to go our way or mostly or usually go our way that we may actually experience extreme difficulty that we may actually and will likely experience circumstances that are like man this is terrible I mean, really think about it for a moment. Have you read the book of Job and what it cost Job to follow God? Have you really read the rest of the New Testament to see what happened in those churches, to see what happened to those saints who were following the Lord? Did you see what happened to Jesus? I mean, can we just go to home base right there, and did you see what happened to Jesus? He's preaching peacemaking. And they nailed him to a cross? Are we really thinking good things happen to good people? Are we going to let these Beatitudes condition us to be prepared for something else? To be prepared to expect something different? Man, I hope so. I I thought it might be worthwhile for us to look back and just do a little survey for a few of our Old Testament stories to see if good things really do happen to good people, to see if Joel is right, that our marked moments are coming, that God's promises, he's going to give us our marked moments, and things are going to be great for us. So let's look back, just a few passages. It's not going to be many in the book of, first, in, uh, the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 4. We're going to do just a brief survey looking at Abel. I'm going to mention a few other people, and we're going to look at Moses, and then we're going to listen to a song from David. Okay, if a good shepherd's equipping us for something, then let's see if it's an equipping that we actually need. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Notice the words that are used there. Cain brought an offering, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You think after that little pep talk there, it's the Lord's visits with Cain. That sort of, sort of you know, cleared the air there, fixed the problem. But then in the next verse, it's something pretty shocking. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Okay, They're just out in the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. Man, I just want to tell you, Abel, your marked moments are on their way. Man, God promises if you do the right thing, things are going to go your way, Abel. And you see how ridiculous that is? At least in Abel's case, man, he got killed by his own brother for nothing. Actually, it is for something. For giving a fine, first-portion, fatty offering to the Lord man, I don't know what in the world came over Cain. Was it an indictment against him for his lame offering? What made him actually mad? But let's just start there and just consider, Abel did the right thing and it cost him everything. He was persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Turned over to Numbers chapter 12. I'm going to give you a sort of an audible uh, recap of the rest of the book of Genesis. Just some other stories uh, that I'm going to refer to Lot in Sodom. You know, when the angelic host, the the angelic team visited Sodom uh, in Genesis chapter 19, Lot is trying to be a good host there, and in doing the right thing, it nearly cost him his life. The city is ready to lynch him for protecting his heavenly visitors. In Genesis chapter 29... Jacob serves his father-in-law, Laban. And doing the right thing there and doing the best he can, being the best worker that he could possibly be, cost him years of his life and an extra wife that he didn't really care that much for. You know the story in Genesis 29. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph with his brothers. Joseph is just doing the right thing, just simply sharing God-given dreams with his own father and with his own brothers. And where does that land him? Beaten laying in a pit, and then eventually sold into slavery. Man, are we going to believe that really good things happen to good people? Are we not going to change those percentages a little bit and let these Beatitudes inform us on what really is involved with following God? What faith will cost us? Genesis chapter 39, Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Hopefully you know the story there. Um, Potiphar's wife really had it bad for Joseph, and Joseph um, uh, did not... Uh, participate in that. He didn't uh, do the wrong thing. In some ways, he's doing the right thing by serving Potiphar well, and he's not doing the wrong thing, and that found him imprisoned and forgotten in prison. Man, I just ask y'all to consider. We're going to look at Moses here in a moment, but I just ask you to consider, what are you expecting for righteousness' sake? Are you expecting that things are going to go your way when you do the right thing are you expecting that it doesn't always work out the way you're hoping? And in fact, maybe, more often than not, you may actually experience persecution. Look at Numbers chapter 12. A man named Moses is who we're going to consider for the next couple of minutes. minutes. There's about four chapters here that are all connected and really condensed with little windows into what this good man experienced. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Miriam and Aaron, that's brother and sister to Moses, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he married a Cushite woman. Now, we don't know of any other bride that Moses had other than a woman named Zipporah. And Zipporah was not a Cushite. She was a Midianite. And some people believe that the reason she's referred to here as a Cushite was because she was a a nomadic woman as a Midian, and that she was super tanned, like dark-skinned. This may be our first window into racism right here. I mean, Moses is getting pushback from his brother and sister because he's married to a dark-skinned woman, an interracial marriage. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth. I'm just thinking about this for a minute. This guy, who's the most meek man on the face of the earth, the most humble man on the face of the the earth, is experiencing pushback from his own brother and sister, persecution for being humble and meek, and persecution for his interracial marriage, which was not forbidden, by the way. Look over at chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> What's happened in between there is the spies have been sitting into the promised land, and the spies come back with their reports, and uh, Joshua and Caleb give, give theirs, and their report is rejected, and the people rebel, it says in chapter 14, the heading. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I mean, this guy's just trying to do his job. He's just trying to do what God told him to do, to lead this people into the promised land. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Man, this guy's experiencing persecution while he's leading a grumbling, stiff-necked, difficult people. Just another one, a couple more windows into this guy and experience that he had. Look over in chapter 15, beginning in verse 32. This is connected to chapter 16, I believe, with everything in me, that this little excerpt here on the Sabbath Breaker execution, you see the heading there beginning right above uh, verse 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Okay, that's very clear. Now, I hope you see the instructions that were given to Moses. The man shall be put to death. Even if you don't agree with him, even if you don't understand him, just read him for what it says. The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, or stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded. Now look over in chapter 16. <clears throat> I don't th- think this is an accident that just a few verses later it comes a rebellion Chapter 16, Korah, the son of Ezar, the son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. We're going to get something done. We're recruiting some well-known men here. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. I have to believe it's connected to the Sabbath-breaker execution. You've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? This guy exalting himself above the assembly of the Lord, this guy's the most humble man on the face of the earth. He's doing precisely what God told him to do. He is being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And the people want him replaced. His own brother and sister want him gone. And Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 of the finest, most respectable men of Israel, want him out. Man, I wonder if Moses would buy the phrase, your marked moments are on their way. Man, this guy's doing everything right, and he's experiencing severe persecution. What are you experiencing? And what are you expecting? What are you expecting? I don't know why we're not more prepared when we experience persecution for doing the right thing. I really don't. If you look over this list, just, I mean, if you read your Old Testament. You look over this list and you look at what happens to the saints. Man, you experience persecution for giving an excellent offering. The first fruits, the fatty offering. You're murdered for it. You experience persecution for being a righteous host, trying to protect people that visit your community. You experience persecution for working hard and having your boss take advantage of you over the course of years. And what are you expecting? You look back at our Old Testament, even just in the book of Genesis, sharing views into God's plans and intentions by just sharing dreams that he's been given. And where does it land him? In a pit and sold off into slavery. And then later experiencing persecution for not doing the wrong thing with Potiphar's wife. And experiencing persecution for just obeying the Lord and just leading God's people in the case of Moses. What are you expecting for doing the right thing? Are you expecting the wind's going to be to your back and everything's going to go your way? Are you expecting persecution? David wrote a song about it. Turn to Psalm chapter 35. Psalm chapter 35 or Psalm number 35. David wrote a song about it. We're not going to read the whole Psalm. We're just going to read some excerpts. And then we're going to get to a brief application. I just want to encourage you to kind of midway through this sermon with this thought, or this question maybe. Do you realize as followers of Christ that doing the right thing will cost you? Not always, but often. Often enough for you not to be surprised. Are you prepared for it? Our Good Shepherd wants us to be, and I think he's equipping us to a flourish even when it happens. Listen to David's song in chapter in, in Psalm number 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. That's that pursuing and persecution sort of concept. Say to my soul... I am your salvation. Look down at verse 7. For without cause, this is who he's coming up against, without cause, do you hear that? They hid their net for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. Look down at verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things I do not know. They repay me evil for good. Saints, what are you all expecting? What are you expecting? You expecting that good things happen to good people? That maxim is a lie. Things happen to people. And things that happen to God's people are things that are ordained and are part of His purpose and His plan. And they may be gruesome. Listen to what happens. He says, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. When they were sick, I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. Look down at verse 19. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths They, say, Aha, our eyes have seen it. We got you, David. Man, I'm asking y'all, what do you expect? Man, in my experience with people, in my experience of being a person too, I realize people by our own nature, left our own device, are really mean. Mean. People don't generally cheer for the guy doing the right thing unless it works to their benefit. If you're doing the right thing and it doesn't work to someone's benefit, you are going to experience persecution. David, it seems, was acquainted with the agony of doing the right thing for the right reasons, only to be met with malicious witnesses, repaying evil for good, rejoicing and stumbling. He knew the agony of hearing, Aha! I got you. Our eyes have seen it. I'm asking you saints this morning, what are you expecting when you do the right thing? Have you even considered our Lord a carpenter's son? Now, we know who son he is, from Nazareth, who's preaching peace and was nailed to a cross. A servant is not greater than his master, people. We should come to expect it. I have a brief application point from 1 Peter chapter 3, if you turn there. Let me just share this thought with you as you turn there, too. <clears throat> I don't want to make the assumption as we are considering this passage this morning that you're the persecuted. Because I know that sinners gather on Sunday mornings as well. Me included. I don't want to presume that you're on the persecuted end of this whole idea of being persecuted. I don't want to assume that you are the one being persecuted. I want you to consider for a moment that maybe you're here this morning, so maybe you can peer into this thing from the other side, and then maybe these next few moments might at least give you some perspective to consider that maybe you could be on the persecuting end. Just consider this. When I was growing up uh, in in school, when I was a school-aged young man in um, high school and then in, on into college didn't happen so much in high school but in college there were occasions where we had a curve breaker in the room you know what I'm talking about that one student that just ruined the curve for everybody else in the class for all the rest of the common people in there you know what I'm talking about that guy or gal and man I remember I had some real resentment with that person <laughs> they really messed it up for us anger even I don't know that I ever persecuted them officially but I know I had the feelings for it And I want you to just consider that the way you play out, the way you do life with one another, the way you do life in the workplace, the way you do life in school, young people, just consider this thought. Could you be mad at who is effectively the curve breaker? Just just consider these thoughts. Could you have some anger towards someone because they take care of themselves by exercising and eating right? Because you don't. Could you have some anger at someone because they spend their money wisely just because you don't. Man, I'll confess to this. I'll confess to both of those. When I was growing up, I grew up in the, in, I was born in 67. So I was, you know, in my uh, single digits on through uh, 1970s when the fitness craze was new. In fact, it wasn't even really finding any footing yet. There were a few guys that were out running marathons and everybody thought they were Crazy. And my mom, is gonna, she's going to kill me for sharing this. But when I was growing up, and she listens to every sermon, so I know I'll get this in about a week, two weeks maybe. When I was growing up, I remember hearing stories. I, we were not an exercising home. I just shared with you I was an overweight kid. My family, we had uh, you know, uh, overweight issues in our home, most of us, not all of us. Skinny little brother didn't, but the rest of us did. And I remember growing up and hearing my parents talk about these crazy people over there that's exercising all the time and eating right. And just now, I don't know if there was direct persecution, but I know there's resentment because we weren't. It was just easier to just mock them and just make fun of them. Now, I don't, again, I don't know that we ever did that to their face, but I know that can possibly happen. It's not, it's not uncommon for me to experience road rage when I'm not in my car and I'm actually on my bicycle. Pedaling around a 16-pound bicycle wearing spandex, and a guy's in a 2,000-pound pickup dually running me off the road. And you have to wonder, why are you doing this? Are you just mad at me because I'm doing something that you're not? I didn't have a conversation with the guy, but it makes me wonder because I go back to my childhood, remembering we can be mad at people that are good stewards with things when we're not, and we can end up persecuting them. Could you be angry with folks who spend money wisely just because you don't? I have had this thought before about those pesky budget keepers. You know those friends that you ask out, hey, you want to go out with us Friday night? We're talking about going out to eat and going to a movie. Like, man, we can't do that; our budget doesn't allow allow for it. And you're like, you get off the phone, like, man, that rascal. That uh, Dave (laughs) Ramseyite, You know, I know there's not direct persecution there, but boy, I know I sure had some resentment for those people that are better at managing their money and actually knowing when to say no than me. Could you have anger toward a workmate? This might be more relevant. Could you have anger toward a workmate for the excellence and attention to detail that they put into your work? When you're just showing up and just mailing it in. When you're just showing up and cutting corners and just trying to finish and go home. And let's not make the assumption that everybody in this room has experienced some measure of persecution because we're all walking faithfully. Can we at least consider that we might possibly, some of us in some occasion, might be on the other side of this thing. Just because you're a believer, it doesn't mean you're immune to these feelings because you're a believer, ideally, hopefully, you're humble enough to recognize that anger and that resentment as sin and repent of it. And then maybe get on the persecuted end of this whole beatitude. Now, here's where I really want to land. That was just sort of a side thought. 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> here's the real application, I think, the or the, the more potent application because it's connected scripturally. We should expect difficult... Circumstances when, for Christ's sake, you do the right thing. Jesus talked about persecution a lot. And it seemed like he was very serious about preparing his people for it. He wanted them to know, it seems, what to expect. He's not conditioning them with these promises that God's going to do this for you and God's going to do that for you, and all these marked moments are on their way. They may not be on their way. You might be in for a beating for doing the right thing. It might cost you everything. 1 Peter chapter 3. This guy that we considered last week was also on this mountainside. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was on the Sermon on the Plain. He was there for the Sermon in the boat. He was there for all the sermons. He was there for all the life group lessons between the sermons. So he had all the teachings surrounded it. And here he brings back these same thoughts from this Beatitude, beginning in verse 13. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for, for what is good? If you only had that passage alone from Peter, you would think there's no harm in in store for those who are doing good. But then he goes on to say and explain, but if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Realize that is the eighth beatitude. It's the very same language. But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. It's the same exact word that's used there in Matthew chapter 5, makarios. He says, have no fear of them. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. When suffering happens for doing the right thing, if it happens, should it happen, when it happens, don't be intimidated, don't be afraid, and don't be troubled. In your hearts, revere Christ as the Lord. Enjoy Him in the struggle. That's Peter's goods for the saints 2,000 years ago, and that's good enough for us. Revere the Lord as holy in that moment. Revere Him as the Lord and enjoy Him in the struggle. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we are thankful for these windows into what to expect. We're thankful that we have a good shepherd in our Savior who preached 2,000 years ago a, a list of expectations of what life will be like as part of this kingdom. Lord, I pray this profound and otherworldly list will be something that invades our lives and connects to our lives in a meaningful way. Lord, I pray it's something that will condition how we view the world, how we understand and interpret and decipher circumstances. And Lord, I pray the outcome there would be that we will be a truly salty, bright people. Lord, I pray that we will be a reflection of the person of Christ as we hold him dear in our hearts as we go through these things that he's promised. Lord, I pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit that first of all that you will cause us and help us to do the right thing. That we'll work well and work as unto the Lord. That we'll move well. That we'll be good stewards with what you've given us and the resources and the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, if we experience some persecution for that, if we experience some suffering for that, that we'll hold Christ dear in those moments. And we'll do it for His sake. Lord, we love you and we're thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 3, right here in the very same passage, I think our guide for this morning, our, uh, really who we're going to hold fast to in this, I uh, just brought up we're going to hold fast to the Lord. We're going to hold Him dear. We're going to hold him holy. We're going to revere him in our hearts. because Verse 18, it says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. As we distribute the elements here in these next few minutes, let's consider who we hold fast to as we experience difficulty and struggle. Let's distribute the elements.